Welcome to the One Question Podcast, brought to you by Wabi Sabi Studios. I'm your host, Michelle Cox, and I love having unlikely conversations on uncomfortable topics. It's a huge passion of mine, so much so that I wrote a few books a while back that challenge people's notion on living a life more unconventionally. This entire podcast stems around one question. If there was one topic you wish society would talk more about, what would it be? Right from the very beginning, we are taking on board imprints around how life looks in your family of origin. One of the greatest questions we can ask ourselves is, what is my perception of this? What am I making this story, this event mean about me? Today, I have the absolute pleasure of interviewing one of the most inspiring and knowledgeable educators of our time. My guest is a TEDx speaker, author, and parenting counsellor with over 20 years of experience working with families. She has helped thousands of parents and children improve their relationships through her work as a birth educator, postnatal trauma counsellor, and more recently as an educator in parenting. I'm talking about none other than the incredible Lael Stone, who, in addition to all the things she does and has accomplished, she's also the co-creator of an innovative school that focuses on emotional well-being and connection. It's called Woodline Primary, and it's in Victoria down in southern Australia. Her passion for creating wellness in families through connection and communication is evident in everything that Lael does. Her recently released book, Raising Resilient and Compassionate Children, is a must-read for anyone looking to improve their parenting skills. I'm super excited to be sitting down with this formidable woman, and I've got to tell you, those that are like me, that are not parents, can also learn so much from her insights, knowledge, and just the wonderful way she looks at life. So I cannot wait to see where we go with this conversation today. Lael, I am so excited to have you here on the podcast today. Welcome. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. All right. You and I have got lots to talk about, so I cannot wait to see where this goes. But if there is one thing that you wish society would talk more about, what would it be? It would be the question, what am I making this mean? And I guess what I mean by that, what am I making this mean, is I think in my work, and I work with all age people, one of the biggest things that I see is when people come up against stuff that's really tricky. So whether that's in parenting, it's what their children are doing, whether it's in their intimate relationship, whether it's in a business sense, so often people will come with their perception of the problem, right? So it's like, you know, my partner, he just doesn't ever clean up, or it's my children, they won't listen to me. Or my colleague, you know, he just like, he gaslights me all the time or whatever it is, right? And I guess working as a counsellor for for many, many years and working with people with their stories and, and their issues, I always come back to this one question of, well, what are you making that mean? Because I have found over the years that one of the greatest questions we can ask ourselves is, what is my perception of this? What am I making this, this story, this event mean about me? 
So I think many of us are the product of a culture and a society where we have, I guess, what I call a victim consciousness, where we're taught from a very young age that it's often other people's faults and to blame them if something doesn't go the way you want to and how life can be unfair. And we're often not taught to lean into our feelings and to feel into, well, what am I making this mean? What is this about for me? Because I think in that question, we find a lot of power because when we can sit there and go, what am I making this mean? Well, in the context of my relationship, if my partner doesn't clean up or do anything, am I making that mean that he doesn't love me because he won't contribute to the family? Am I making it mean in the context of a parent, if my child doesn't listen to me, that I'm a bad mother because my child doesn't listen. And if my child did listen, then that would mean that I was a good mother. And that means I'm enough. Or does it mean at work that because one of my colleagues treats me this way that he thinks I'm dumb and and I'm not smart enough and that's my story? And so I guess a lot of the time I work with our stories and our imprints and our perception of what we make things mean. And when we can ask that question, what am I making this mean? Then we instantly move from a place of, I guess, being a victim sometimes in life to being in a place of power where we go, well, gosh, what I'm making it mean is I'm not enough or what I'm making it mean is, you know, that person doesn't find me attractive and therefore I'm not okay. And these are all stories and imprints that we have learned as children, that we take into adulthood, that we often look through that lens at life. And when we can kind of have this pattern interrupt of asking the question, well, what am I making this mean? Instantly, we are open for learning and growth and owning our story And being able to then sit in possibility of what we do want it to look like and what we want in our world. But as long as we're sitting in a place where it's all about, you know, someone's doing something to me and this isn't fair and we're having these big reactions and making about someone else, then we're often going to sit in that place where we're not owning what is part of our story. Oh my goodness. You are such an insightful, incredible woman. Like I've listened to so many of your podcasts, which For those that listen to the intro and know about your background, you know, all the work you do predominantly these days is around kids and parenting and raising, you know, resilient children, et cetera, which is ironic that I find your work so amazing given I'm not a parent, step parent, but, you know, the kids are older. So everything you say and do, Lyle, really relates and it so resonates. And I think that's the key point of your teaching and your book's all about, you know, raising resilient and compassionate children. But you know, I think your whole notion and purpose in life is to say, well, they're going to grow up as adults. So the work that you're doing actually resonates with all of us that are older children, I guess, because we never learned that stuff when we were younger. And whether you're a parent or not, we've all been raised by parents or caregivers, and we all have story and imprint that plays out in our life. So I do find that even though I do speak a lot to parents, it's everything I'm talking about applies to all of us. It's living It's living, it's how we interact with other humans, how we interact with our own parents, our siblings, our partners, our work colleagues, our friends. In relationship, we learn. And, you know, I think why I work a lot with parenting is because that parent-child relationship is intense and it's very powerful, can set up a whole life story in the way that we respond to each other. And I often find whether you're a parent or not, we all need to do our own reparenting work which means we all need to look at the younger parts of ourselves and what stories we still carry, what pains and hurts are still sitting there and then how they turn up in our life now. Like that is so much of the work I think around how we move through life. Mm. 
There's a couple of points that I want to pick up on. One about imprinting, but you know, the thing I've always felt is actually even as a non-parent, I still have a lot of influence on a lot of kids. And so, you know, listening to the way that you talk about interacting with children and understanding, I think you use the notion about big feelings and, you know, the way you describe stuff, Lael, is just so, I mean, I'm actually getting goosebumps thinking about it. It's so beautiful, honestly. I've learned so much from your work, all the stuff you do. So thank you for that. And I've sent your work to so many people as well. And I think, oh, I hope they don't get offended saying I think you need to you know, have some parenting advice. But I just think it, all of us can you know, use that. And even if you're an older parent, your kids have flown the coop as such, you still have influence on other people's kids. So I think that's a really good point to remember. But one of the things that you talk a lot about is imprinting. And it's something that struck me so profoundly when you use that term. And so can you explain that a little bit more, what you mean by the imprinting that we've kind of grown up with, I guess, because it's beautiful. Well, from the moment we're born, we are watching and we're feeling and we're sensing as little babies, actually, even in the womb, you know, we take on board and can feel what's happening for the mother or in that relationship and dynamic. And then we're born and we come into this world. And right from the very beginning, we are taking on board imprints around how life looks in your family of origin. So to give an example, I often, one of the big things I always talk to people about is what is your imprint around trust? So if you grew up in a family who maybe they had a lot of trauma or maybe there's been betrayal or, you know, and again, we're all coming from protection. There's no right or wrong here. We're all doing the best job we know how. But if you grew up in a family of origin where you heard your parents say, all the time don't trust anyone people are dodgy they're going to be out to get you always take care of yourself you know there's a story that starts to form as a child that goes yeah okay you don't trust anybody because life isn't safe and you can't do it and trust is a huge one because that in order to trust we have to allow ourselves to be vulnerable and courageous and all the pieces that go with it or perhaps your imprint around feelings and emotions which is one of the big ones if you grew up in a family where when you got upset your parents got angry and they sent you to your room or they smacked you or they ignored you then the imprint you often receive is it's not okay to feel and I must be good all the time in order to be loved so we develop an identity in a story that says I must be a good boy or a good girl in order to um, to survive and so then what happens with that is we often then don't speak our truth we don't honor what we deeply desire or what we want or what we need because our imprint is no feelings are dangerous and if you actually speak your truth then you'll get ignored or you'll get hit or something bad will happen so there's an imprint and we have imprints around everything our relationship to money intimate relationships our relationship to joy and pleasure our relationship to work like everything we are like these beautiful clean slates and then our parents and bless them. And I really just want to hold this. Our parents, we are all doing the best job we know how, right? There is no perfect in this. And most of the time for people, it's survival. They are surviving. I've got to put food on the table. I'm, you know, raising these kids. We're doing, they're doing the best they can. But what happens is some of these imprints are brilliant. You know, some of these imprints are like, yes, I can take risks and be courageous. Some of them are all about following your passions. I don't know, it doesn't matter, whatever you grew up with, right? But some of these imprints do not serve us. And they're the ones that we'll often repeat again and again as we grow into adulthood 
And that can turn up in dysfunction in relationships. It can turn up in our relationship to our body and how we take care of ourselves. It can turn up with everything. And I guess my work is always asking any human to look at, okay, well, what isn't working in your life? What feels stuck? What feels hard? And what do you make it mean? And then let's look back at, well, where did that story and that narrative come from of what you make it mean? What was modeled to you? What was the language spoken in your house around all these kind of topics. And from there we go, okay, well, did that serve you? And maybe at the time it did, but does that serve you now? And then how do we change that imprint in the story to be one that feels good for you? Because often what we do is we just repeat the same story again and again. And then what we do do is we look for evidence to believe that to be true. So if we have a story that goes, I can't trust anyone, we keep looking through that lens of see that person, let me tell you, you can't see, you cannot trust anyone. There's so much evidence there that you can't. Or, you know, we just keep looking again and again and again, right? Instead of actually going, well, where can we start that healing journey of where that story and that imprint comes from? And then what can we do to actually start changing that narrative? Because life just responds to us energetically. We are always looking through a lens and we're going to look for what we believe to be true. So what I want to know is to change those kind of imprints Do people need to do that with assistance, you know, to see a counsellor or have you seen people be able to do that themselves and work through that kind of notion that you just said? Yeah, I think it is possible to do it. I think you have to have a level of willingness and also awareness and consciousness to catch it because it's all thoughts in our head. Right. And so often we go about our days not connected to ourselves. So we go about our days frantically thinking about what we've got to do or We might be losing our energy to what we haven't done or feeling guilty about something from the past. And a lot of the time we're not present. And because we live in this kind of hustle culture, we are on this treadmill running a lot of the time. So these thoughts come and we don't even have the awareness to actually go, oh, God, what am I making that mean? What am I thinking? What am I catching in that moment? So I think the first step is actually we need to get a bit more present with ourselves when something doesn't feel good in your body. When some you get a little like, oh, that felt weird how that person said that. Can you take a moment and take a breath and go, what is here for me now? What am I making this mean in these moments? And then we begin the inquiry into it. So I run workshops around this where people can actually tune into their stuff and we go through some of the core imprints around what it looks like and where that turns up. But you can also start doing the work on your own. And I would say by simply asking these questions, what am I making this mean, right? Where did I learn this story or this narrative? Where did that come from? What was modeled to me as a child around this? What did I watch my mother or father or those, you know, caregivers do around this? Do I still play it out now? Am I repeating that same pattern? And once we kind of begin to understand and identify, oh, my God, look at that. Look at what that is. We go, oh, okay. So that was the story. That's what I learned. And we have to be able to sit in a place of deep compassion for that story, not judgment, not like, why didn't my parents do better? And why didn't they know? You know, your parents were doing the best job they know how. But we can sit there and then go, ah, that's the language that was spoken to me at home. And because that's the only language I speak, I am now wanting to learn how to speak Italian and I didn't grow up in a family that spoke Italian. So I have to practice. So I go and speak to other people who speak Italian and I'm really conscious about learning to speak Italian, which means I'm watching my thoughts and I'm being curious as to where it comes from. And then what I'm doing is when I'm seeing it turn up in my life, I'm pausing and going, ah, there is the story again. Okay, beautiful. What would I want this story to look like? 
And that's the next question you ask then from like, okay, when I've identified where it comes from, when I'm aware of where it turns up in my life, now what would I want this imprint to be? I'll give you a bit of an example of my own personal story. So I'll give an example of this because this was really a huge shift to me. So growing up, beautiful family. My parents are amazing, doing the best job they know how. But in my kind of maybe 30s or whatever, or really actually most of my adulthood, I had a pretty messed up relationship with money. And money's a loaded one, right? Because in our culture, it means power, but then it also means you shouldn't want to have a lot of money because that means you're greedy. Like, no, there's a lot of imprints around money. It's a really dynamic topic, right? So I had a really strong imprint growing up, mainly because my parents were doing the best they could, was that money was dangerous. So if you have a lot of money, you'll get in trouble. Like, so this was my father, bless him, doing the best job he knows how, but was terrible with money. He wouldn't have boundaries around it. And so there was always struggle. And so the imprint I received around money was um, from my beautiful mum. you have to work so hard for money, bust your ass till you almost end up sick. And from my dad, but you only just have enough, not too much because then it's dangerous, right? So that was my imprint around money. And can I ask, sorry, what did they come from though? Do they come from wealthy families, not wealthy? Not well, they came from pretty middle-class families, right? My dad's story came from that his father was a gambler, so he often used to lose a lot of money. So his story was money's dangerous, right? So then he carried that on. Because, And the reason I ask, sorry, just to interject there is I've been doing work around that generational trauma. So that's really interesting. And so, yeah, curious about where they came from, because I know exactly the same case of my mother's story and her grandmother and my grandmother, et cetera. So, yeah, no, no, no. Perfect. Such a good thing, because because then that actually can give you more compassion and empathy for your own parents, because you're like, oh, man, they were just doing what was done to them. And look, you know, my grandfather was in the war. Right. And so he had all this trauma and the way he coped with his trauma was to gamble. And then my granny tried so hard to try and keep it all together. And, you know, so like, again, I can totally see where the stories come from so then I look at me with a young family and my husband and my husband has his own money story his parents were immigrants so they came to the country with nothing so he's got a whole story there and so together we then got all this conflict that goes on around money all the time none of it flows there's just enough you have to work hard for it I'm basically repeating exactly what happened with my family and then I was like I do not want to do this anymore. It doesn't feel good. And I do not want my children to have the same imprint. So this is where a lot of it started to shift for me many years ago because money was such a big issue, you know, in, in that family relationship was great or other things flow. I had beautiful imprints around that, but really around money. And because it's, it's the currency of, you know, how we can do stuff in life. And it was one that just felt full of tension. So I was like, well, what do I want this imprint about money to be? Well, what I want this money imprint to be is that money can flow and money can feel good and I can do work I love and get paid really well for it or whatever. Like, again, you create your own story. But I had to go back and actually understand where the story came from first. And then I had to understand why it was there and how it kind of served its purpose. And then I started to do the whole, all right, now what do I want this new story to be? And so what was scary within that was there was also stories I attached to that. Well, but if I had money, then people will judge me. Or if I do this, then, you know, that means other people will miss out. Like, again, we all have these stories we create around what it means. And so as I kept working through each story and understanding it, I found a place that felt 
good for me. It felt wholesome for me. What is a big motivation for a lot of parents I work with is, as I say to them, what do you want your imprint for your kids to be around this? Because they are watching you. What do you want your kids' relationship to intimacy to be? What do you want their relationship to, you know, feeling their feelings to be? What, you know, they're watching what you're doing right now and that's what they're taking on board. So this is an invitation to be a lot more mindful. So for me, I remember thinking, I really want my children to have a good, healthy relationship with money. You know, that you can work for things you love. It can flow in your life. It does not have to be charged and toxic. It can be a great thing. So I had to then start changing my relationship to it. I started needing to look for evidence of how it could be a positive thing. It didn't need to be dangerous. And slowly I began to shift the story and the narrative to now it doesn't feel charged at all, right? And now I'm like, amazing. I get paid well to do things that I love. And there's a whole shift there. That story no longer exists and then I watch it with my own children of their relationship how that shifts and moves but you can replace that topic of money with anger you can replace that topic of money around intimacy you can replace it with anything that turns up in our lives around what we struggle with or where it feels tricky and the stories that we have around it the imprints we were given about it and that we all sit in a possibility of being able to change these stories I absolutely 100% believe that so how many times a day would you ask yourself what am I making this mean for me I only do it when I feel off my center so most of the day I feel really great and I'm feeling good and I'm, I feel it. But as soon as something feels off for me, which is, oh, I just had a funny reaction to what that person just said or, God, I just looked at something online and I started to feel jealous or I started to feel activated or whatever, I would be in the curiosity of, oh, what is that? Okay, there's something there for me. There's something here. And one of the things I really want everybody to know is that we are always responding to what is going on around us and our imprints in our stories make us react in certain ways you know I really do believe nobody ever makes you angry nobody ever is to blame for these things we have a choice about how we respond to life like that it just so resonates yeah it's just that whole but I think you said it right at the start of that you know, culture that we grow up, it's someone else's fault. It's never resonated with me and take responsibility for your own actions. And sure, some people have had shittier things happen to them in life than others. And that's sad and unfortunate, but it still is how you deal with it is my take, you know, and everything I've seen from the most amazing people I've met around the world, from those that are really wealthy to those that are, you know, incredibly um, poor in our financial terms, but rich in life. And it's all about their attitude and how they take that responsibility. Because that's all we have. We only have perception. That is it. We can't control what happens in life as much as we try hard to do it. The only thing we have control of is our perception, how we're going to perceive what is happening, how we take that into our lives and our brains and our bodies and what we make that mean. And then we get to choose, you know, so when we have something go on in a relationship or something happen, we can choose to take it as that person is horrible and mean and they're making my life hard and how dare they do this to me. And that can all feel very painful and real. And then when we go a bit deeper, if we look at, well, what's sitting underneath that, perhaps there's a story there that says, well, if I was enough, then they wouldn't treat me that way, or I'm not worthy of being treated that way, or whatever is the story. I mean, that's the juice that we have to work with, because that is the opportunity for some recalibration, for some healing, for 
what I call coming home to yourself to realize that, you know, you are enough and you always have been enough. And then we have these imprints and stories through life that tell us something different. And I think the journey of consciousness is to keep coming home to our enoughness. It's to come home to the truth of who we are. And all this stuff distracts us <laughs> along the way. That's beautiful to the truth to come back to who we are. It so resonates. You, um, it really reminds me of the, I listened to Ben Crow recently and you'd uh, sat down and had a beautiful lunch with him. You'd said he talks about that around, especially working with athletes and about, you know, controlling the things that you can control. And that's, so it really resonates that point of anyone else thinks of you. And it's kind of the work I was doing in the last 12 months of, getting a little bit antsy about someone saying something and feeling myself prickle. And I think that's the first point for me. I haven't got to the point of asking myself the question, but now that's going to be imprinted on me, what you're saying. Ask myself the question, what am I making this mean? But I have been kind of consciously doing that, going, oh, why am I feeling like this? And actually, why is that person acting like that? And thinking, actually, this is more about them than me. Because you used to always just naturally go, oh, what's going on with me? What's, oh God, do they think this or that, whatever? Actually, a lot of the time it's not about us at all, right? It's actually about what's going on in their life and their shit and they're projecting and we take that on. And so I've stopped doing that going, okay, that's your shit and I'm not going to take that on. And I actually, this is not about me at all and I've recognized that. And actually it's really powerful to sort of be in that space and kind of go, right, I'm here for you. I'm your friend and I want to support you through this. There's something going on, but actually this is not about me. I used to get really like, oh my God, like I've upset them or I've done something. And yeah, so it's an interesting sort of transition, I guess, to get through when you become a little bit more conscious and aware on a um, daily basis. I think we have to hold a space for the fact that most of us were conditioned as children to be good. And when we are conditioned to be good, which means do what our parents say and be compliant and do what you're told at school. And I mean, that's a whole other conversation, but often that is at the detriment of what our spirit wants or who we really are or expressing our truth and those kind of things. And so we learn to be good most of our lives. And then what happens from that as we become adults is we're constantly checking, do you approve of me? You know, do you think I'm good enough? Do you think I'm pretty enough? You know, in your eyes, am I okay? We are always looking outside of ourselves for external validation instead of actually the knowing within that we are enough. And I love what you say, Michelle, because you're like, yeah, that's actually got nothing to do with me. That's somebody's projection and they're hurt. And, and yes, perhaps I need to listen. There might be something in it for me to communicate or navigate within it but it's not our responsibility to hold other people's stuff and that is something that we learn a lot as children that we are responsible for keeping everybody else happy yeah so true so talking about the kids and um you know everything you do use you often use the term as i work for the kids which is so beautiful and um so you were a sex educator with high school kids, which slightly gives me anxiety just thinking about that job. <laughs> I'm just like, so I'm just curious about some of your fondest memories from that because you did that, what, for five or six years or something? They're tough conversations. And actually, I love that TV program um, that came out with Gillian Anderson, you know, sex education. I was like, oh my God, this is like next level. When that came out, I was like, okay, every high school everywhere, just put these episodes on. That's your classes, right? Because they cover so many brilliant topics and there's so many great conversations within it. And just the way characters are represented, it's brilliant. So I'd just be like, scrap all your curriculum and just let the kids watch this. <laughs> so Oh, look, it was such a, I really enjoyed doing it because I was really passionate 
about giving teenagers accurate information and to actually help them have healthy, positive sexual experiences. That's what we want. And I think there is so much shame connected to sex and sexuality. And I was really adamant I didn't want the teenagers to feel that. I want them to get the accurate information so they can do and have positive experiences because really whether we like it or not pornography is our biggest sex educator and you know the average age of a child coming across porn is 10 and when we talk about imprints again the imprint of pornography as your sexual education is not a healthy one right and so for me it was very much about how do we give them accurate information so I mean there's been many funny experiences I I used to start my classes going okay Okay, there is nothing off the table. You can ask me about anything and, you, you know, there's nothing that's going to shock me. And then I would kind of drop a few terms and stuff like that. And that will be like, oh, my God, and be like, come on, let's talk. I want you to know how to be safe, how to communicate, how to have pleasurable experiences, especially for the females. You know, one of the big things I focused on was their own pleasure because pornography teaches them that it's about someone else's pleasure. And and so we talked a lot about that, how anatomy works. I mean, I do remember one time feeling a bit terrified. I had to go and teach. There was like 80 17 and 18 year old boys. Right. And I remember thinking, oh, God, this is going to be tough. Right. And my son was the same age at the time. And I went to him and I said, honey, I've got to go teach this class. Right. These are the things I'm going to talk about. Do you reckon like what else do you want to know about? Right. And then he looks at me, he goes, I already know everything. And I just thought, oh, okay, that's what I'm walking into. I'm walking into a group of teenage boys that are going to go, I know everything. So I thought, all right, I've literally got about 30 seconds to win them over. (laughs) So I start the class and it's all males. It's male teachers. I'm just like, and here's this middle-aged woman standing in front of them. They're all like, oh, this is going to suck. So I start the chat with this. All right, put your hand up here if you know everything about sex. And they'll put their hands up and I'm like, yeah, excellent. Well done. Great guys. And then I go, okay, my next question is this. Who here wants to be a good lover? And they're like, oh, yeah. And some hands are going up going, yeah, I want to be a good lover. And then I had this giant clitoris, right? Like it's huge. It looks like a crochet hook. And so I pick that up and I say, okay, who can tell me what this is? And they're all like looking dumbfounded and some like, do you like make craft with it? And I was like, this is the clitoris. And they're like, what? And from then on, they were like captive audience. (laughs) And I just like. Just we we had a great time, lots of laughter. And then afterwards, my favorite part is these three male PE teachers walked up to me and they just went, oh, my God, I just learned so much then. <laughs> I'm like, great. <laughs> so anyway, that was one of my most fun and slightly terrifying classes. But, yeah, it was good. I literally have tears in my eyes. <laughs> just <laughs> fabulous. Like, well, I just want to finish on I can't have this moment with you and um, chat to you without asking the biggest question when I first came across to you is how the hell do you get to start your own school in Australia? Like I just, when I heard about this, she's like, oh yeah, I've got my own school. It's called Woodland Primary. I'm like, wait, wait, what? I've been a massive advocate around shaking up the system because the school system didn't work for me and my eccentricities and the way I learn. So I see a lot of kids that are, you know, young and that are I call them my spirit children, you know, because they're like, oh, yeah, I recognize that kid. That's me. Let me spend some time with them because they don't learn the same way, you know. And so how did that happen? What, Like, how did you get there? It's amazing. I think it's a very serendipitous story, actually. So my partner who I built the school with, Mel, 
she was a client of mine and I'd been working with her for a few years just around her children and that kind of stuff. And then one of her children was about to start prep and um, he'd started school and she'd come to a session and she's like, oh God, he just hates it. He has to sit on the ground all the time and his name gets put on the board if he speaks and he can't move his body. And she was, she's from the US and she's like, is this what schooling is here in Australia? And I was like, yeah, pretty much. And she's like, where is there a school that sees the whole child? Like, where is a school that does what everything you've taught me about parenting? And I'm like, well, if it exists, I don't know of it. You know, I, I put my kids all through the mainstream systems and they hated it because they don't fit into the mold either. And it was a real struggle to do it. So then she just said to me, well, what if we build our own school? And I'm just like laughing going, yeah, I know nothing about building a school. Like I was just saying, yeah, whatever. But she was really persistent. She's like, no, I'll fund it. I'll create the infrastructure, but you build the school that you think should exist. Like what you think from the ground up, let's do it. And so I had to sit on it for a bit because, you know, it's a massive, it's like if I had have known what it was going to take, I probably wouldn't have done it. And, and of course, all the doubt comes up. There's my stories. What do I make it mean? What do I make it mean? I was like, I can't do this. Well, what, why? Because I'm not smart enough. I don't know enough. I'm so out of my depth here. Comfort, Did you, like, just, do you come from an education background even though? I'm not formally trained as a teacher. No, no. I've taught my whole life naturally, but I've never went to university and became a teacher. And actually, more than anything, I hated education because probably like you, I was totally misunderstood at school. I hated the power over kind of authoritarian elements. I'd like bristled against all of it. I had a really nasty taste in my mouth around education. So I had to sit on it for a while of like, I can't do this. What am I make it mean? And then I don't know, one day something happened and I just thought, well, who am I not to do this? It just takes one person to be brave and to create something new. That's the thing, right? Who am I not to do this? I love that. Just takes one person to go, I'm going to do something innovative and see. And that takes courage. It takes a lot of courage. So I finally said to Mel, all right, let's do it. But I was really clear. I was like, I need support because there's, I have no idea what I'm doing here. And I knew what I wanted. Like I had the vision and I could feel it and see it, but I just didn't know how to implement it all. So sure enough, the right people come along, I think, as they do when you're ready for something. And we had some amazing consultants who held our hands through it. And it took three years to build the school. So I wrote every policy for the school in the beginning and, um, you know, all the groundwork that it took to do it. It's, it's not easy. It costs a lot of money. There's a reason why people don't open schools is because it's really hard. There's so much governance and just all of it. It's huge. So, yeah, the day we actually opened, you know, I cried the whole day because I just couldn't believe we've got there. And, and now we're in our third year. And um, I have to say it is even more magnificent than what I thought it could be. And that is so due to the team that we have working there. We have the most extraordinary principal and leadership team and the guides. We call them guides, not teachers who come. And they are the ones that are making the vision I had come to life and improve on it. Like, it's amazing. I go back there and I'm like, oh, my God, that's so awesome. I never would have thought of that. And, yeah, I feel incredibly proud of it. I feel like it is an example of what education could be. We call ourselves a trauma-informed, non-punitive school, so we don't use punishments and rewards to get kids to do stuff. We welcome feelings and emotions. We are all about emotional literacy and awareness, so that is folded through everything that we do. We have small class sizes because it's all about connection. We have an assistant guide in every room who's just there to tune into the kids emotionally so that when they're having a hard time, they can go and visit the cows or they can go 
jump on the trampoline or have a swing. And we really value the different ways that children learn. Some learn best through their hands. Some learn best through moving their bodies. Some learn best through talking. Some learn best through paper and pen, right? So we we see how children learn. We give them choice and autonomy over their learning. One of the mottos from our beautiful leader of learning at school is, is we do nothing without joy. So how do we make learning fun? We want kids to want to love coming to school and, and we want to teach children about how to be beautiful, compassionate citizens of the earth. So we have a really strong component, which is about taking care of our earth. We have a strong indigenous element that runs through our school with a lot of the ceremonies we do and a lot of the education we do. The children tend to the farm because it is on a farm. So they take care of the animals and the gardens. We cook all the time. We really are about that community and, and nurturing and nourishing the whole child. Yeah. So it's amazing. And, you know, oh, it's beautiful. And I think the thing that kind of really speaks to me is that you're allowing these little people to be authentically themselves from that young age and absolutely celebrating that on a daily basis. You're not trying to conform them into a box or, you know, and it's just so beautiful. So Lailstone, wow, what a conversation. Um, Other than having the coolest name of anyone I've ever met, you are one bloody magnificent human. Seriously, I was so excited to be able to chat with you and um, thank you for coming on and sharing all this wisdom amazingness and so many great tips and things. I'm just literally, I've written down, what am I making this mean? I'm going to run with this daily. And um, I think it'll shake me up a bit, which is just great. I love it. Thank you. Oh, you're so welcome. Thanks, Michelle. It's been such a beautiful conversation. You know, I love talking about all these different elements. So thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, there you have it. Wasn't that an incredible conversation? I hope you enjoyed it as much as I've enjoyed bringing it to you. If you did like it, can I ask a small favour? Please rate and review on your listening platform for me. I know everyone asks this, but it seriously makes a difference to help get these conversations out in the world and makes all the hard work and effort I put into this for you all the more worthwhile. And until next time, if you have one question you'd like to ask me, hit me up on my socials or jump on my website, michellejcox.com.